Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. Welcome back to Inspire Church, amen. And we had an amazing Easter time together. For all of you regulars, welcome back home again. Um, and for those of you who don't know me, my name is Philip Muella, and I am the lead pastor here at Inspire Church. Yes. Um, gets a little awkward when I get hand clasped, but I appreciate it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, we are starting a new sermon series. Um, and so if you're not familiar with Inspire Church, we kind of move in sermon series. We'll put a bunch of sermons together in order to kind of bring out a big picture. And so we are are moving toward a new sermon series. We're starting today. We are simply calling it The Table, The Table. And uh, I am especially excited because uh, The Table means a lot to me. It means food. Amen. And uh, any foodies in the house? Amen. Um, and so I am a foodie. I cannot settle for uh, just a regular commercialized restaurant. You know what I mean? Like chilies, you know, all that stuff that just doesn't happen in my life. I got to find something real. I got to find something good, something authentic. And so uh, my poor wife has to deal with that every time we go out to eat. Um, and so uh, today we are calling it the table. The table is so much more than just a meal, though. It's so much more than a meal. Um, let me ask you a question. Does anyone sit at the table anymore for dinner? <laughs> Uh, praise God, we have a few. Does anyone sit at the table for dinner? Uh, I was reading an article, uh, The Atlantic wrote an article, and uh, something that The Atlantic had observed, it says, the average American eats one in every five meals in the car. <clears throat> so only three people laughed, which means the rest of you are like, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, it can, one in four Americans eat at least one fast food meal every day. <laughs> Again, not a lot of laughter, which means you guys all probably agree with this. And the majority of American families report eating a single meal together less than five days a week. And yet, sharing a meal around the table can be one of those, the most emotionally healthy one of the most mentally therapeutic, spiritually encouraging, and missionally effective rhythms that we can do. It's so much more than eating and drinking when you come to the table with family and friends. Amen? And so my prayer is as we launch this series, it would inspire you to practice rhythms of the table. It would inspire you to consider practicing rhythms of the table. So I pray that we learn to see the table as less of a common space and more of a sacred space. I'll say that again. I, I pray that we would see the table as less of a common space and more as a sacred space so that we can use that sacred space to love one another and glorify God together. Amen? All right, with that being said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to first thank you because you invite us to your table. And you've made provisions for us to come and eat and dine with you through your precious son, Jesus Christ. So I pray that you would inspire us. I pray that you would propel us. And I pray that you would get all honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 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 This is going to be a marathon. 
at least eight to ten weeks in this sermon series. And so um, I am incredibly excited just to sit and observe Jesus Christ across the table. So about half of Luke's gospel, so this eight to ten week series is going to come out of the gospel of Luke. About half of Luke's gospel takes place around a meal or around the table. It's called the table scenes of the gospel of Luke. And again, for the next several weeks, we're going to explore the impact Jesus had on people when he shared a table with them. We're going to explore the impact Jesus had on people while sharing a meal with them. And we're going to ask ourselves kind of two questions. And, and even this morning, the question I want you to ask up front is this. How can I spend more time sitting with Jesus at his table? How can I spend more time sitting with Jesus at his table? And number two, what would it look like for me to open my home and share my table? So number one, how can I spend more time sitting with Jesus at his table? And number two, how or what would it look like for me to open my home and share my table with others? Amen. If you have your Bibles, you are welcome to turn there. If your Bible apps, you can open up Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 27 through 32. Luke chapter 5. It's a little dark in here, which I know doesn't really invite Bible reading. Um, but Luke chapter 5, 27 through 32. Again, if you have your Bible apps, your Bibles, we'll also have it for you here on the screen. We'll get the lights up just a little bit for you. <clears throat> Luke chapter 5, 27 through 32. Um, the scripture reads like this. After this, he, this is Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. What a picture of discipleship. You see that? Jesus says, follow me. And he leaves what? Some things. He leaves everything. And he follows him. Now, verse 29, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. He had a house party. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled. Of course, they grumbled. Jerks. They grumbled and said to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them. I love that because they didn't pose that question to Jesus. Y'all catch that? Oh, we need some help this morning. Y'all good? Everybody good? Everybody wave at me? We're good? We're okay. So he, the Pharisees and the scribes, they say to the disciples, why does this dude sit with sinners? Why does he eat with them? And then Jesus kind of ear hustling answers the question. And he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, this scene begins with Jesus approaching a man named Levi at work. Now, I want you to know, Levi's name is also Matthew. This is the gospel writer, Matthew. This scene begins with Jesus approaching Levi at work and calling Levi to follow him. 
And Levi is so impacted by Jesus that he not only leaves everything, but then, are you ready? He opens his home and invites everyone he knows from co-workers to friends to come and sit and eat with Jesus at the table. I want to say that again. He is so impacted by Jesus that Levi opens his home and invites everyone he knows from co-workers and friends to come sit and eat with Jesus at the table. Are you with me? Now here's a, just a, a quick application. This is a rhythm of gospel-centered discipleship. If you are a follower of Jesus and the gospel, the love of Christ is at the center of all you do. If you are a genuine, if you've been genuinely converted, this is a sign. This is a marker. This is an indicator that you are a gospel-centered disciple. Not just the desire to share Jesus, but a strategy to share Jesus with everyone that you know. So he opened his home. Levi, and invited people in to experience Jesus around his table. So I want to submit to you three considerations, three considerations um, from one verse, verse 29. I want you to think about just three observations from one verse. We're told that Levi through a great feast, a large crowd. I'm sorry, we're told that he threw a great feast. We're told that there was a large crowd and then we're told that we were, they were reclining at the table together, okay? So those are the three considerations. Sorry, I set it up for you a little rough, but let me try to explain. Three observations that I wanna preach on today. A great feast, a large crowd, and reclining at the table. Amen? Amen. We had a real, okay, here we go. Verse 29, verse 29 says this, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. Now the phrase great feast really captured my attention this week. In fact, if you look at the Greek, that's what the New Testament was written in. The Greek words used to describe Levi's house party are the words megas dahe, great feast, Megas Dahe. Now you might think of Megas and you might think basically Levi was hosting a mega feast. Now, if you think about a mega feast, I want you to imagine the food, right? Plenty to eat and plenty to drink. Ba basically, imagine the atmosphere, right? Celebratory, loud, full of laughter. Like, just think of some, some of your favorite times of going together with family and friends. Plenty of food, plenty to drink celebratory, loud, and laughter. And then just imagine Jesus there, right? Uh, compassionate, full of mercy, and full of grace, right? So again, imagine this mega feast put on by Levi, loud, laughter, plenty of food to eat, plenty to drink, and Jesus is there. And I was talking with my wife this week, and she was just saying, that's not the typical place that I would think Jesus to be. Like some of you worship like a stained glass Jesus, yeah. right? A Jesus who only shows up in a particular type of like medieval, gothic, like kind of like, you understand, like that's where he belongs. But I want you to tell, I want to tell you, and I used to say this a long time ago, that oftentimes Jesus would rather not be in church yeah, 
He'd actually rather be sitting around the table present with people who need him. Are you with me? So imagine the food, imagine the atmosphere, imagine Jesus. And now, if you can imagine those things, you can imagine heaven. You can imagine heaven. In fact, I was always told, I used to always get so frustrated by this, slightly annoyed. People, I don't know if you've ever been told this, if you've been to church a lot. You better get ready when we get to heaven. It's going to be a nonstop worship service. <laughs> like, I remember pastors, you know, or worship leaders so angry because people weren't responding. Like, fine, like, if you don't like sitting here singing songs, then you're not going to like heaven. <laughs> Nobody, that's just me. I'm a little traumatized by it. And I think, man, like, I know heaven's going to be beautiful, but, man, I don't want to be standing up singing all day long. <laughs> Have you come from some of those churches where you just go on and on with worship? You know what I mean? It's like. Singing the chorus. Okay, some of you haven't. Some of you have. And I don't mean to put them down, but I'm just saying. Um, but I'm gonna, if you can imagine a mega feast, you can imagine heaven. Are you with me? A place of abundance. A place of joy. A place of community. And a place of the presence of God. Christine Pohl, she's the author of the book, Making Room, Recovering Hospitality as a Christian Tradition. This is what she writes. She writes this, a shared meal is the activity most closely tied to the reality of God's kingdom, just as it is the most basic expression of hospitality. Let me say that again. A shared meal is the activity most closely tied to the reality of God's kingdom, just as it is the most basic expression of hospitality. Now, let me explain. Let me explain what that means. You see, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, in chapter 25, verse 6 of his book, he portrayed the coming kingdom of heaven as a feast of rich food full of marrow and of aged wine well refined. Now, I know some of y'all are not going to like that, but that's what the prophet says. The coming kingdom of heaven, when the prophet prophesies of that future day, is going to be basically a feast, is what he says, of rich food, full of marrow, and of aged wine well refined. The Apostle John in Revelation 19 describes the future day of Jesus Christ like the greatest wedding reception that you've ever been to. And he calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now I want you to listen. Whenever followers of Jesus gather together around a table or a meal, they're practicing eternity in time. Whenever followers of Jesus gather together around a table in a mill, they are practicing eternity in time. It's what the Celts referred to as thin places, where the veil that separates heaven and earth all of a sudden becomes exceedingly thin, and you can kind of see it coming together. Every barbecue, every picnic, Every conversation at a cafe, every time you go out to eat after service or gather in small groups inside of somebody's home. And it doesn't have to be mega, whether the table is big or small. 
whether the menu is simple or complex, whenever followers of Jesus gather around the table together, it becomes a foretaste of the coming mega feast in heaven. Did you know that we have 10,000 taste buds? 10,000 taste buds. Now, what was God thinking? What do you think he was thinking when he created us with 10,000 taste buds? He could have just gave us one. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. (laughs) I need some engagement today. I appreciate that. (laughs) He could have just gave us one. Uh, he, He could have just gave us food as fuel. Some of you, in fact, eat that way, right? Some of you eat so fast, like there's no savoring or tasting. It's just, a, it's just fuel. But, but you have 10,000 taste buds. In fact, I just saw this, uh, I don't know what you want to call it the other day, but it was this taste tester who like tastes for like an ice cream and just takes a little bit and he puts it on his tongue and he's like, he makes all these noises and he's like explaining like it's going up my nose, it's going in my head. Oh, that was great, right? And just like, just, just savoring the whole thing, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying you do that because you probably won't be invited to the table again. But it's just a, a, it's a savory taste. See, and God, so God created, God could have created us with one taste bud. No taste buds. Yeah. And, and he could have just gave us food for fuel, right? Or, or sustenance. But, but the presence of 10,000 taste buds suggests something much, much, glor- much more glorious. Much deeper. Much better. You see, we have 10,000 taste buds so we can express creativity as we experiment with spices, sauces, all my S's, textures, and flavors, right? Any cooks in the building, right? There's a joy that you have when you're putting a meal together, and there's a joy that you have when others are eating your meal, right? So 10,000 taste buds um, are there to make, express creativity. But what, what about this? 10,000 taste buds so we can experience delight as we enjoy what has been made. And somehow all of that becomes an appetizer of God's grace and a taste of his love and his desire for us to delight in him together is a way of anticipating eternity at the table. And so my prayer today is that the rhythms of the table would become more welcomed, more anticipated, more sought after, and intentional at Inspire Church. It's my prayer for the next 10 weeks, that the rhythms of the table would become more welcomed, more anticipated, more sought after, and intentional at Inspire. That we'd hunger for hospitality, and we'd thirst for community as a foretaste of heaven. In fact, this is what Sunday morning is. When we gather together as a family and worship Jesus and partake of a meal, it's a foretaste, it's a shadow of something to come greater. Are you with me? And so we move from a mega feast to a large company. Verse 29 tells us, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others. Now I want you to pay attention here. The emphasis in this particular sentence is not just on how many were there, but on who was there, right? So we have a large company, that's how many, 
But I want you to know the emphasis here in Luke, he's not just wanting you to see that there was a lot of people, but he wants to see the kind of people that were there. Now, who was there? Who was there? Well, the scripture tells us tax collectors. Tax collectors, okay? The IRS was there. I'm kidding. Tax collectors. So let me just kind of briefly tell you what it meant when a tax collector was having a meal with Jesus. You see, tax collectors were probably the most despised people in all of Israel. They were traitors. Why? Because Israel was occupied by Rome. And so tax collectors were Israelites collecting taxes on behalf of the occupying country, the occupying empire of Rome. Are you with me? They were traitors. They were cooperators. They were crooks, con artists, and extortionists. Why? Because they were always collecting more than what was necessary. Because Rome allowed them to not only collect collect the tax that Rome required, but then on top of that to collect more for themselves. They were real, real scummy. Now the scripture says tax collectors, but the scripture also says others were there. And I want to maybe open up your heart so you can understand what does it mean? What does Luke mean when he says others? Since no self-respecting Jew would be caught dead associating with tax collectors, the others were other socially outcasted individuals. Like prostitutes, thieves, thugs. Why do I say that? Because the tax collectors need to surround themselves with muscle. If they were going to collect money, they need to enforce that collection. And so these individuals would be numbered among the tax collectors. So I want you to think about this mega feast featured a real sus guest list. Like this guest list was full of folks that were really suspect. It would be like if you saw Jesus kicking it with crooked cops. You weren't ready for that one, huh? It would be like if you saw Jesus kicking it with corrupt politicians. Drug dealers and drug addicts. So scandalous. Are y'all with me? Y'all with me, Inspired Church? Like It would be like if you saw Jesus kicking it with all the outcasts, the ones that were hated. The ones that were avoided, even the ones that you hate and avoid. It would be like Jesus hanging out with the Democrats and Republicans. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Just had to throw that one in there. Maybe some Democrats and some Republicans. This is why the religious elite grumbled. They complained. And did you know they often accused Jesus of being a drunkard? And a glutton. The religious elite always accused Jesus of being a drunkard and a glutton. Now, why would you accuse somebody of that? Unless they were always out hanging out, eating and drinking with the wrong crowd. And you know how their thought process was this. The audacity of this so-called holy man sitting at the table with sinners. How could somebody so holy sit with people so sinful? And yet, here at this mega feast, full of folks with mega issues, Jesus demonstrates the Father's heart. And you know, in demonstrating the Father's heart, Jesus shocks both the religious elite 
and the irreligious. Y'all with me? Yeah. In, in eating with the tax collectors and the other social outcasts, Jesus demonstrates the heart of God. And the heart of God shocks both the religious elite. In fact, it infuriates them. And those who are sinners. Because the religious elite thought to themselves, there's no way a holy God would be sitting next to. There's no way a holy man, a prophet, a rabbi would allow himself to associate with sinners. And you know what the sinners thought? The same thing. The same thing. It's here where Jesus shocks them both. And it's here where Jesus reveals not just the father's heart, but the reason why he came. Why did Jesus come? He said, I have not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so I want to, I want to just zoom out for a second and, and, and say this, the table can be a communal space where disciples gather together to strengthen spiritual friendship. You with me? The table can be a space where other Christians gather together to strengthen spiritual friendship. But it also can be a missional space where those who feel far from God can be invited in to experience the belonging and connection of Christ. The table can be a space where other Christians can gather together and enjoy fellowship and friendship. But it also can be a missional space where those who feel very far from God can be brought into a place of belonging and connection with Jesus. And I want to say this, I long for Inspire. I long for Inspire Church to see their homes and their tables as places for their families, for their friends, for their neighbors and coworkers who feel far from God. That's what I desire. I love how another author put it. He said this, I'm convinced that our tables have the potential to be the most missional places in all of our lives. He goes on to say, perhaps before we invite people to church, we should consider inviting them over for dinner. I'm convinced that our tables have the potential to be the most missional places in all of our lives. Perhaps before we invite people to church, we should consider inviting them over for dinner. Rosaria Butterfield, love her last name. She was a professor at Syracuse University, a lesbian and gay activist. It was while writing a book on the religious right from a lesbian feminist point of view that she received an invitation from a local pastor and his wife to come over for dinner. Now, she had, she had already wrote an op-ed on a organization called Promise Keepers, right? For those of you who remember Promise Keepers, like a bunch of men gathered around and just like worship Jesus. And she had wrote an op-ed of just how misogynistic Christianity is and all these other different things. And so it was during that op-ed uh, uh, that the deacon of this pastor's church came in and said, hey, we got to do something about this lady. 
Like we have, you know, we have to respond to her or whatever. And that's when the pastor said, yeah, I'm going to invite her over for dinner. And so I, I love this. She accepted the invitation. You want to know why? Because she was writing this book. She tells the story. You can find her on YouTube. She was writing this book and she thought, this is going to be great for my book. I'm going to go. As a true scholar, I want to sit with some local pastors and I want to have conversation. So guess what? She agreed. And she tells the story that at first, Pastor Ken and his wife, Floy, did not share the gospel with her. Or they didn't invite her to church. <laughs> like she went there and she was there for a couple weeks to the point where she was like, wait, who, what am I, chopped liver? You know what I mean? Like they didn't share the gospel. They didn't invite her to church. They wanted to sit down. And, they, and she, she goes on in her testimony to say that this showed her that A, that she wasn't a project for them. But B, that they had an intention to build a relationship. So, so that first they just opened their home. But in the end, Butterfield says, they not only witnessed the gospel to me, but they witnessed to me what it meant to be a good neighbor. Over time, she became a follower of Jesus. She's written several books, books like The Gospel Comes With a House Key. Uh, she's written a book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And she is now a mother and she's married to a Presbyterian pastor. And her basic premise is that the LGBTQ community does a much better job of welcoming strangers than the church. And that we need to recapture the ancient Christian tradition of hospitality as a core rhythm of what it means to follow Jesus. So we move from a mega feast to a large crowd. And finally, verse 29 tells us that Jesus was there reclining at the table with them. Y'all see that picture? Yeah. That's not Jesus reclining at the table with them. Well, it, it is, but that's not the Jesus. Anyways, never mind. I'm move forward. I got to over-explain pictures these days. You know what I mean? Because now, okay. But I want you to know that it's just a look of the recline. That's kind of what it would look like. Now, we don't do that, right? That's not how we eat anymore. But that's kind of the Roman Greco way to eat. Are you with me? Yeah. It's a little odd. <laughs> Shoes off, toenails out, little off, little odd. But, but this is the posture of the day. This is the posture of the table of the day. Now, I want, you to, I want you to see something. And again, my wife and I were talking. Uh, to recline means you have to slow down. Right? Like that, that's not a posture of being in a rush. Wow. Right? Nobody is in a hurry in that room. The table, at the table, there was no rush. There was no hurry to leave. The posture enabled comfort. Although for those of us sitting upright, we're like, I don't know how comfortable that would be. That was enabled comfort. It maximized relaxation and it ensured that all who would come to the table, are you ready? We're fully present. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And this got me thinking about what I call the enemies of the table. The enemies of the table. What are the enemies of the table in your life? Both as an individual, as a follower of Jesus, and as a church. What are the enemies of the table in your life? What keeps you from opening your home? 
What stops you from engaging in community? What stops you from practicing rhythms of the table? What stops Inspire Church from being warm and welcoming when guests come in? What hesitations of the heart are keeping us from embodying the love of Jesus in such a key and vital way? What are the enemies of your table? Maybe I'll just give you a few. Perhaps you can find yourself. For some of us, it could be some kind of social anxiety. Now, there are some in here who deal with legitimate diagnosed anxiety disorders, and I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I am not talking about those in this room that deal with legitimate anxiety disorders. Are you with me? Yeah. And make sure I'll make that clear. Yeah. In fact, I have a lot of, I have a lot of compassion. Yeah. It's not easy. You're called to community. It's a rhythm at the table. It's very hard for you to do yeah. it. Yeah. I have a lot of compassion. The fact that some of you are even in this room, yeah. I just want to thank you for making it out. But I do want to say that there are folks, and even those who maybe deal with anxiety disorder, there are folks who take that to an extreme. That everyone's self-diagnosis. Are you with me? I'm talking to those of you who use introvertedness as an excuse. Or have allowed the fear of rejection or the awkwardness of some social situations to keep you from participating in the heart of the Father. Are you with me? You've allowed introvertedness to be an excuse. You've you've allowed your fear of awkward social situations to keep you from practicing the heart of the Father. I want you to know people are lonely and people are searching for a place to belong. We must not allow ourselves to become a stumbling block to the mission and ministry of Christ. Amen? Number two, another enemy of the table is what I call tribalism. Tribalism. You know, some of us are more Pharisaic than we'd like to think. Some of you are like, I'm not a Pharisee. Those Pharisees. It's like that Spider-Man meme, right? You're just pointing to your same person. The Pharisees love to categorize. All of us have it. Can we be honest? All of us have it. Like, well, I'm not a fundamentalist Christian. No, 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 no. Even if you think you're a progressive Christian, it's the same thing. We all categorize, don't we? We all end up in tribes, don't we? No? And and can I say this? The Pharisees loved to categorize so that they could demonize and ostracize. It's part of our sin nature to label people. Isn't it? It's part of our sin nature to label people. Why? So that we would know who is in and who is out. The moment you walk in here, you label everyone. And why do you do it? It's a defense mechanism. It allows you the opportunity to avoid awkwardness. Anything that you can do in your tribalistic way to make sure that you can identify, categorize, so you can ostracize, so you can demonize. Are you with me? It's part of our sin nature to label people so that we can know who is in and who is out. 
if they don't look like you, talk like you, vote like you, make as much money as you do, then they must not be your people. But I'm here to remind you that the blood of Jesus has removed every dividing wall of separation. And that tribalism may be the way of the donkey and the elephants, but not the way of the lamb. Open your home. Open your home. Open your table. Open the circle that your crew gathers in. You know that circle, that closed circle? Open it up a little bit. The next time you invite the crew, be intentional. Open your circle and invite somebody new. And you're not going to do that. That's why we're going to spend 10 weeks doing this. And you're still not going to do it. <laughs> but we hope it's... A, can I say this? There's only things that the Holy Spirit can do. Yeah. I can preach and I can teach and we can try to create a culture. And that's very helpful. But only the Holy Spirit can take the word of God and seal it in your hearts and minds and start creating this kind of transformation, this intentionality. Yeah. We move from tribalism to, how about this? I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy. Come on, where are all my busy people at? <laughs> that, that's, that's equivalent to saying, Jesus, your priorities are not mine. I'm too busy to be a disciple. This is most definitely a Bay Area problem, amen? It's one of the most troubling things about discipling people in the Bay Area. Y'all are too busy. Can I just be honest? <laughs> I'll try not to spiritually abuse, I promise. One of the hardest things about planting a church in the Bay Area is that y'all are just too busy. Wow. And so as leaders and as pastors, we struggle with the line of religiosity and abuse, but also trying to call you to something greater. Yeah. Trying to call you to live as an upside down kingdom. Y'all yeah. see that? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back off. We work and we commute, don't we? And even if you work across the street, the commute's like 30 minutes. <laughs> and we have folks, in, you know, here in Union City, like we have folks at this church that are from different cities too. Like some of you come even as far as, shout out to Stockton, Pastor Danny. Woo! Pastor, two of our pastors, <laughs> Stockton and Lathrop, right? Like we come along with, like we're a, a transient community here in the Bay Area, right? And with that comes its beautiful uh, uh, opportunities, but also comes with its, its obstacles and stumbling blocks to discipleship. Sure. Yeah. yeah, it's not easy. And I don't want to berate or belittle, but I want to say this, that God is calling us to something. So how do you, how do you reconcile discipleship in your heart with that? Yeah. And now we even work from home, don't we? Mm -hmm. And so we've successfully turned the table into a desk. Wow. And I'm guilty. Right? And we, we, our table's got our printer on there. <laughs> We got a, underneath it, it's a little packet. You know what I mean? There's some storage under there. Y'all with me? Am I the only one? I might be the only one. In our fast-paced, tech-saturated culture, Christians need to recover the art of slowing down 
and inviting themselves to the table and receiving the invitation of Christ to his table and inviting others to theirs. Are you with me? We need to build intentional rhythms. Stack the rhythm if you have to. Like you're going to go out to eat on Sunday, stack it. Invite somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like if you can't do it all every day, like stack your rhythm. Learn strategically, intentionally to build rhythms of community, rhythms of hospitality. Finally, number four is perfectionism. Any perfectionists in here? (laughs) We're all of these. (laughs) What do I mean by that? For some of you, the house has to be spotless. The food has to be gourmet. And the conditions perfect. You see how that's a stumbling block? It has to be spotless. The food has to be gourmet. You can't afford to be hospitable. We've turned hospitality into a show. You've turned it into a show, a performance. And so it's no longer heartfelt, it's headache. Man, what have we done? We complain that the space is too small. The neighborhood is too sketchy. The carpets aren't clean. The bathrooms are dirty. I'm not a good cook. (laughs) Listen, and I know we talked about the mega feast, but that's heaven. Even the smallest of feasts is a reflection of heaven. Listen, it's not not about the quantity or quality of the food. It's about the community. Let's fight against the notion that everything needs to be lavish, exquisite, and perfect. Table sharing will multiply when we realize how serving imperfectly is beautiful in its own way. And so this morning, I want to invite you to the table. And I want you to know that this table is the table of Jesus Christ. This is God's table. I want you to know that there's an invitation to an eternal banquet, an eternal party with him. Glorious, abounding, plentiful joy, the presence of God. And so this morning we get to practice eternity and time. So this morning we're gonna do something a little different. I'm gonna invite you today to come to the Lord's Supper table. In fact, for the next 10 weeks, we're going to do this every Sunday. And we're going to look at the beauty of his table and the love of his table. And we're going to allow the beauty and the love of Christ's table who invites rebels, sinners to that table. And we're going to allow that love to motivate our love, to motivate us to open our hearts and open our table. And you know, the the beautiful thing about Christ's table is that he's made the provisions with his blood and his body. The way that you enter into his table is through his death and his resurrection. And so as you rise to your feet, if you can, I wanna invite you to take a step out and we have hosts that are preparing. We'll have a table here for you in front, table for you in back. I want you to grab the bread and grab the glass and take it back to you and invite you as we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together. I just have a few instructions. Um, You don't have to be a member of Inspire Church. Okay, if you're a member of another church, you don't have to be a member of a church to take communion here. 
What we do ask is that you're a follower of Jesus, that you have given your life to him. Amen? And we are going to participate. But before we do that, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're invited. You might say, well, how am I invited to this table? And it's simple, by putting your faith in him, by trusting in our Savior. And so if you feel the call to this table, but yet you feel far from God, I just want to pray a prayer with you. And so before we come to this table, I want to pray a prayer of invitation for you. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room today and you feel far from God, you feel rejected from the table, you don't know, you feel like you're an enemy of God. You feel like you're a sinner. You feel like you're worse than a tax collector. You feel like you're in the other category. I want you to know that Jesus would love to spend time with you. In fact, he is here with you. And so he invites you through the blood. He invites you through his body on the cross. The scripture says so that anyone who believes, anyone who put their faith in this Jesus, if you're right there in your heart, would you say, God, I am a sinner. I know I am. I am a failure. I know that I am. I am far from you. But Jesus, you provided a way for me to get close. If you would just say, yes, I'm a sinner. And yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord and that he died for my sins. You'd be made worthy to come to the table. And so Heavenly Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, that they would give their life to you. That they would say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a mistake maker. But I know that if I just put my faith and trust in the perfect Savior, the one who is perfect. I know if I just believe in his life that he lived perfectly. If I would just believe that when he died, he died for my sins. And if I would just believe that when he rose again, he rose for me and that one day I will rise again too. If I would just believe that story to be true, I'd be saved. Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord God, that you would do a work. And I pray, Lord, those who are far from you would be drawn in to this beautiful table. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspiredchurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.